Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to 77977. Enjoy this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to say I love that team of people, that group of people on the beloved community and the conversations that are happening and the heart and the grace that is in all of those conversations as well. Thank you so much to Erica and for Andrea for your leadership um, on that team. Um, And I'm also just so glad to see all of you here this morning. Welcome, and also welcome to everyone who is watching online as well. I want to start off by telling you a little bit of story of my story on how I came to faith and then how I became a pastor as well. When I was in my mid-20s, I was living in Bend. I was working in grocery retail. I spent every free moment that I had snowboarding on Mount Bachelor, and then with any other time, I was just partying for the most of it. I didn't know Jesus at that time, but through a lot of different circumstances and people all converging and coming together in one moment for me, really, I began to, one, read the Bible, and two, I started going to church, and I quickly came to an understanding of how important Jesus is, that he is the most important person. And more than just a person, he's the son of God, and he was the king that I needed to dedicate all of my life to. And let me tell you, my world changed like that. I had encountered Jesus, and nothing was going to be the same again. I felt like I had wasted all of my life up to that point. I mean, I was just in my mid-20s, but still felt like I had wasted all of my life. And I just wanted everything that I did from then on to be for and about Jesus. So I felt called into ministry. I mean, how much more could I dedicate my life to things of Jesus than to be a pastor or a missionary? I mean, I still hadn't even read even half of the Bible at that point, but I moved to Portland and started going to Multnomah so that I could get some training for ministry. Now when I look back on that time, I think I had some misunderstandings or misconceptions about how it was that I could dedicate my life to God. That doesn't mean I don't feel like I've been called to be a pastor. I still feel confident in that, that I'm called to be a pastor. But I think there was some aspect of my thinking that considered being in ministry as more intentional or a more significant way of giving my time and energy for the purposes of God. Remember, I felt like I had wasted my life. Well, now, as a pastor, I could actually get to the real work of serving the Lord. I remember telling my pastor at that time that I had found my life verse in in the Bible. Anybody else have a life verse here? Oh, yeah, you got to love a good old life verse that really sticks out to you. Mine was John 17, 26, when Jesus was praying to the Father in the garden, and he said, I have made your name known 
and I will make it known so that the love with which you have for me will be in them and I in them. I just wanted to make the name of Jesus known. And I wanted people to know his love as well. And I could fulfill that by being a pastor. That was my calling. Now, if you've been listening for the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series called The Lost Gospel, where John had been leading us through how to see the, the, how big and how great the gospel is, just in case we had a shrunken view of the gospel. The shrunken gospel is that, well, essentially we're all kind of bad, but if we pray a prayer that says we believe in Jesus, then someday we'll get to go be with him in heaven. But the real gospel is so much bigger and so much greater than that. It's an invitation into eternity that starts right now. It's an invitation into a kingdom with a good king. And it's an invitation to begin bringing shalom, the shalom, the peace of God, into this world. That kingdom and of this king is here and now. There's still something greater that's going to come in the future for us, but his kingdom is very much here now. And because Jesus is our king, his, his rule and his reign involves all areas of our lives. If you missed the last three weeks, uh, or any one of them in any way, please go to our website, check out that series, The Lost Gospel. It's foundational for understanding what the gospel is. Now we're moving into a new series, which is very much related. It's called The Good Life, How the Gospel Changes Everything. Based on our understanding of the gospel as a bigger and better story than we could ever have imagined, now that we've entered into Jesus' kingdom and eternity, and that we get to participate in bringing shalom to the world, how does that affect our lives? How does it relate to our daily living? How does it cause us to think about things like relationship, creation, race, death, and other topics that we're going to be covering in this series. Today, we're starting off with the gospel and vocation. How do we understand vocation in the context of the bigger gospel? There are all kinds of things we could talk about with vocation. We can't talk about them all, so we're going to be looking at it at kind of a high level today for vocation. The first thing we should do, though, is maybe kind of define some of our terms. So there are going to be a couple of times here where I'm going to ask you a question and I'm looking for responses from you. And if you're watching online right now, you can type your responses in the chat and we'll even try and capture them live here in the moment. No guarantees on what the delay is like or the technology. We're just learning. We're giving this a try. But you can respond in the chat as well. Okay, you all ready for the first question? What is a vocation. What do you think of when you hear that word? Job. job. It's our job, right? Yeah. The thing that we're doing at work. Uh-huh. 
career, I heard, which is, and I heard life's work, career is, um, sometimes we view that a little differently than job, right? Like we may be in a job that we feel like is temporary, but we're still looking toward a career that's gonna be more long-term for us. Or it's our life's work. It's something that just carries more meaning or significance for us. Yeah, others? What was that? Craft and? A calling, yeah. So a craft, like maybe our vocation relates somehow to certain gifts that we have and how we can implement those gifts in our creativity. Or calling, well, I think that's probably a pretty good one to end on since that's what the term vocation means. Vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call. So a vocation is a calling. Now, for many years, the concept of vocation was kind of distinguished between clergy and laity. Those who had a calling into the priesthood or into monastic life had a vocation. The rest of the world didn't so much have one. It was the special calling that priests and monastics uh, received that kind of put them into like a super Christian category. They were special because of their calling, which was thought to be more significant, more meaningful work for a person to do. Now, I wouldn't have thought about it in those terms, but in some way, that is what my thinking was when I felt called to be a pastor. I thought it was the most significant thing that I could do to serve God. Then at the time of the, of the Protestant Reformation, a lot of the reformers, and Martin Luther in particular, tried to reframe what vocation or calling was, and that it wasn't just reserved for clergy. Instead, as a follower of Jesus, anything you do is your calling. They divided life into three categories. There was the home, which doesn't mean just in your home, but what you do as work or income to provide for your home. Um, there was the church. What are you doing to participate in the life of the church? And then there was the state. How do you function in society more broadly? All of those categories together comprised one's vocation. It's the particular situation that people find themselves in. That's where God has called them to. Since then, our modern understanding, is, it mostly has to do with connotations of work or a career. What do we do? And it usually has some sense of being more meaningful or um, personally related to us. Like someone who doesn't like their job, if I don't like my job, I'm not gonna say, oh yeah, this is my vocation, likely. Instead though, if I am passionate though, if I, have a, if I really care about what I'm doing, I might say, then that is my vocation. Now this sense of vocation, I think probably largely has something to do with what we're seeing in society right now called the great resignation. A record number of people are quitting their jobs right now. A new record was set in April when four million people quit their jobs and almost the same number every month since have quit their jobs. People are reevaluating what's important to them and how they wanna spend their time and energy. Now you may not have a paid job. 
Maybe you're retired, you're a stay-at-home parent, you're a student, you have a disability. Don't tune out yet. We're not just talking about jobs. We're talking about how the gospel affects our daily lives, and that relates to all of us. In fact, I want us to kind of go back to that understanding of vocation in which it's broader. Yes, it relates to our jobs. It very significantly relates to our jobs, but it's bigger than that as well. One scholar put it this way, vocation is the divine calling to be a Christian in every mode of life, public as well as private, religious as well as, as, well as secular, adult as well as juvenile, corporate as well as individual, female as well as male. In other words, our calling is to represent Jesus or to be iconic of him, to use the term that John used last week, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Whether we like our job or not, whether or not we're working outside the home, whether or not we're retired, whatever those circumstances might be for you. Now, there are a few aspects of this that I want to kind of tease out a little bit today, but I hope that one of the big takeaways for you will be that whatever your circumstances are, they fit within a larger calling that you have, and therefore, they are more significant because of that calling. John Calvin, one of the 16th century reformers, he said, for every work performed in obedience to one's calling, no matter how ordinary or common, is radiant, most valuable in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, we're going to have our public reading of Scripture now, which kind of gives us an extreme example of this. Our reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Colossian church, chapter 3, and it's going to sound a little funny to us at first because he's talking to slaves, but I hope to be able to make some sense of that this morning. Meshach is going to be doing our public reading of Scripture this morning. You may recognize Meshach as he's banging on the drums back here during worship, and so glad that he's going to read some Scripture for us. Colossians 3, verse 22 through 4, verse 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes on you and to curry their favor, but with a sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. That's great. Thank you, Meshach. Okay, I don't want to get too hung up on slavery specifically here. I mean, it could be a whole nother sermon where we talk about what the Bible says about slavery. It's not directly what this sermon is about, but I don't want to leave it hanging out there either. And I realize someone even told me earlier, like, it could be triggering to even hear about. 
Now, John also preached about a similar topic a few months ago when we were going through the book of Ephesians, and there was a very similar passage that he was walking through. So if you want some more information, you can go to our website, find that Ephesians series, and look for the sermon called Bringing It Home. But let me point out a few things here. Slavery in the context of where and when Paul is writing this is different, likely, than how we think about slavery. It wasn't based on race. It sometimes was optional, and some slaves were even highly educated individuals. But that doesn't mean that it was pleasant. I mean, slaves, they didn't have any rights at all. They weren't considered citizens. A slave might be in a situation where they're treated somewhat well, or they could be in a terrible situation where they're treated really poorly. What's important to understand, though, is that slavery was a common aspect, a common um, and accepted part of society in that time and place. So Paul is addressing what people in the church are experiencing. He's not saying slavery is okay. He's not saying that it's sanctioned by God. He's not saying that a person needs to remain in slavery. In fact, in another place, he'll say, if you can get your freedom, you should do that. So he's not saying any of those things, but slavery was the reality that many people in the church lived. In fact, the early church was characterized as appealing to slaves. Christianity was known as the religion for the poor and the slave. So slavery was the circumstance that many people of the Colossian church were in. And rather than trying to change the circumstance, Paul is saying, regardless of what your situation is, how do you live as a follower of Jesus day to day in the midst of that? Like I said, this is a pretty extreme example for us with slavery, but how does it relate to us? I mean, the principle is the same. Whatever your situation is, whatever your work or not work is, how do you live as a follower of Jesus? Your current situation and all the things that make up your day-to-day -day life is your vocation. That's what God has called you to. And that's in all areas of your life, at home, at work, at church, in society. I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you're stuck and have to stay in a place. If, like, if you're in an abusive relationship, that is not your vocation. If you're in a job that is absolutely destroying you and your family, that is not your vocation. You don't have to be stuck in it. Things can change. Maybe they will change for you, or maybe they won't, or at least maybe not for a while. I've told you before about my grandfather-in-law, Poppy. I used to do yard work for him uh, very regularly for many years. And he used to be a teacher and a pastor and a seminary professor, so he was always trying to, uh, to uh, pass on life lessons to me. And one day I was working at his house and I was lamenting some aspect of my life, some aspect of either work or school. I just didn't feel like I was quite doing what I should be doing or something along those lines. And he said, God will use all of your experiences now and throughout your life to prepare you for things to come. But you can't be so focused or focused that you're distracted 
by the things to come. You need to be present and faithful where you are now. Now, there are times of transition. There are times of change. There are times when we need to think about the future, maybe think about what the next step is for us, but not to the detriment of being faithful where we are, because that's where God has called us to currently. That is our calling. So what does it look like to be faithful? Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I interpret that as saying, do it to the best of your ability, with the most integrity, with your whole heart, like you care about it, as if you're working for the Lord. If that's true for a person who is trapped in slavery in their circumstances, how much more easily would that apply to us in our situation? Whether it's school, whether it's home, whether it's at our jobs, can I do it to the best of my ability? Can I do it with the most integrity? Can I do it with my whole heart? actually care about it, as if I'm working for the Lord. Because wherever I am, that's my current vocation. That is my calling, and I need to be faithful in it. Second aspect here. Paul can say this to people in the church who are slaves because of something critical that he has said just a few verses before. In verse 11, he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Were there people who were in slavery in the Colossian church? Yes. Was their identity that of a slave? No. When Paul was writing to another church, the Corinthian church, and again addressing slaves, he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Thanks, Paul. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called um, to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. The slave and the free, and I would even argue in Colossians 3, the slave and the master have the same identity as beloved children of God. In Christ, they are the same before God. For Paul to say to someone in slavery, don't let it trouble you that you're in that situation means that there is something way bigger and way greater that they are a part of that totally overshadows the situations that they're in day to day, which probably drives us a little bit nuts, right? 
Like, why didn't Paul just say, masters, release your slaves. Don't hold them in bondage. But Paul's not trying to change uh, people's circumstances. He's saying, within your situation, how do you live out the gospel? You can do that in any situation because your identity is not created by your circumstances, by what you do, but by who you are in Christ. The same holds true for you and I. Your identity isn't in your work or even your lack of work, if that's the situation. This goes in all directions. If you feel like your job makes you really important, sorry to say, it actually doesn't, your importance comes from being a beloved child, and that's it. If you feel like your job makes you less important, or your lack of job right now, because maybe you're in between things, because you're retired, because you're a stay-at-home parent, which is a ton of work, by the way, your importance comes from being a beloved child of God, not your success in a profession. Parker Palmer, he's an author and a teacher, he says, we plunge into external activity to prove that we are worthy or simply to evade the question. We get all wrapped up in this all the time. We all do. It's understandable. It's a con- we, just, we just need it's the, the constant reminder, that process of reminding ourselves and letting this sink down deeper into our souls that our work does not define us. God defines us. And we've all got to do our work well. That's a lot of what this passage is about. But your work doesn't define you. Let me just tell you, as I was thinking about this, how this really affects me. I was trying to think, in a situation where I wasn't a pastor anymore, would my identity be so tied to that of being a pastor that it would cause some problems for me? And I don't think it would. I don't think my identity is tied to that aspect of being a pastor. But every day is a struggle for me in feeling like, am I contributing well enough to what is happening in this church right now? That's my current role, right? In my church, like every day as I'm going through my work, it weighs on me, am I contributing enough? And I let that inform my identity, whether I'm having a good day at it, like I'm killing it today, or I'm having a not so good day at it, like man, I'm feeling pretty worthless right now in what I'm doing. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Okay, the last aspect for me to tease out here Not only are we to be faithful in our current situation, to do it at the best, uh, um, with the best best of our ability, with the most integrity, with our whole hearts, as if working for the Lord, but Paul also makes a similar statement just a few verses earlier. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, are you ready for another question? 
Online, are you ready for another question? Okay. Um, this one's a little bit trickier. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? Obedience. Obedience. Right, so you're kind of recognizing if I'm doing something in the name of Jesus, that's because he's my king, so I'm doing what he wants me to do, so I'm being obedient to him. Yeah, good. Service. Service, right. So maybe it's like we're doing something in the name of Jesus, therefore it should probably take on the characteristics of Jesus, Jesus being this wonderful servant, right, who washed the feet of his disciples. Yeah, good. Well, you guys are awesome. That was like five at once. I'm going to go with the last one because that was the one I heard the most clearly was giving the glory to God, right? So maybe it's recognizing what we've done as not being about us, but being about God. We're doing it in his name. So we're pointing back to him. How about one more? Sharing God's love. Yeah, so if we're going to do something in the name of Jesus, we want to do it the way that he would do it too. And he was someone who loved people. We're going to do it by sharing his actual name so that they can come to know him and be loved by him. That's great. You guys all have a, a lot of great answers. You know, it's really interesting here because God seems to take his name pretty seriously. I mean, you don't have to be like a regular church-going person to know some of the Ten Commandments, like, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The NIV version of the, of the Bible puts that, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Does anybody else just think this is the weirdest command? I mean, honestly, I have always struggled with this command. I've just been confused by it. Like, what does it mean to misuse the name of God? What does it mean to take his name in vain? What is the name of God? Functionally, I think for most of us, it means something along the lines of, say gosh instead of God. Say geez instead of Jesus. Like, whatever you do, don't use the name Jesus as an expletive. Or no, no, don't say any bad words either, sure. Gosh darn it. Oh my gosh. Oh geez. There's a scholar who has done some great work in helping to kind of reframe my understanding of this command. Her name is Carmen Imes. I think she actually used to live in the Portland area. And her book is Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. And what I'm about to say comes from her work. The Hebrew word for what the NIV translates as misuse, or is often um, translated as take, as in take the Lord's name in vain, is nasah. It's used hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible, and generally it has the sense of to carry, or to lift up, or to bear. It's the same word used at Mount Sinai just a little bit later in the book of Exodus to describe what the high priest is to do when he puts on his priestly garments. On his priestly garments, he is to nasa, 
to bear the names of the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed on 12 stones on his chest. There we go, look at that high priest. Nice, you can see the 12 stones on his chest, each one inscribed with the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. By bearing their names, the high priest is representing them to Yahweh, to God. He's marked by their names. Now, when the Israelites arrived at Sinai, one of the first things that God said to them was, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And back to the Ten Commandments, as a kingdom of priests, you are to Nassah, to bear the name of Yahweh, the name of God, in a way that's not in vain. That is, bear it well to all of the people, to all of the world, to all the peoples around you. That's what the Israelites were to do, and that's what we're to do as well. Peter says in the New Testament of followers of Jesus, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What God had said about Israel being priests, they, he now says about anyone who enters into that covenant of following Jesus or giving their allegiance to Jesus. We now bear the name of Jesus. Carmen Imes compares this to a tattoo. It's like a branding of who you belong to. It shows who you're representing. And that's why I felt like the best way for us to apply this in our lives is to all get Jesus tattoos. <laughs> We've got tattoo artists waiting in the lobby. You can all line up right afterward for your Jesus tattoo. People online, you can make an appointment for later and we'll get that arranged for you. Another part of my story is that when I was 20 or 21, I got my first tattoo. Now, I didn't know Jesus at that time. I hadn't read the Bible, didn't go to church. I certainly did not live a lifestyle of following Jesus. But in my adolescence, for a few years, I had an experience at a Catholic church. Now, in my 20s, my understanding of Jesus was really wrong and misguided. But there was something that caused me at the very last minute to decide to incorporate the name Jesus into my tattoo and have Jesus tattooed across half of my chest. I remember the tattoo artist looking at me because he was somebody I knew. He's like, are you sure? You want Jesus on your chest? Well, with or without tattoos, you are bearing the name of Jesus in all you do, in your work, in your home, in society, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your housemates, to your family, to your friends, even to your frenemies. John painted a similar picture of this last week when he said that we are icons or images of God in the world. This takes things a step further though because all people are made in the image of God. 
But to bear the name of Jesus is something unique to those who have given their allegiance to him. They've been marked by his name. Your coworker or your neighbor, they are made in the image of God. I don't know if they bear the name of Jesus. You bear the name of Jesus. And that is the primary aspect of your vocation in life as you go about your day-to-day activities. So let's take a look at that um, back to Colossians 3. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you're doing as a student or at the peak of your career, or if you feel like you're stuck in a dead-end job, or as a stay-at-home parent, or in your retirement. Whatever you're doing, do it as one who is bearing the name of Jesus, one who has been marked by him and representing him to the world. Okay, so I've tried to kind of tease out three aspects of vocation here. They were, Your current situation is your vocation, so remain faithful in what you're doing. Your identity isn't in your work, it's that you are a beloved child of God, and you are bearing the name of Jesus in all that you do, so bear it well. I think when these three things come together and when they're viewed in the context of the bigger gospel, they reorient for us how we can view our calling each day. And when thinking about work specifically, it actually redefines things for us. So much of what defines our lives is our work. It's where we find some of our identity. It consumes so much of our time and our energy. And for many of us, our faith in Jesus ends up being an add-on to other more dominant areas of our lives, those things that take up our day-to-day rhythms. But the gospel redefines what's important for us. Our calling comes from Christ and is centered fully in Christ. It is the primary thing, and Jesus is the primary uh, person. Regardless of what you're doing day to day, that is your primary vocation. When we understand our calling through the gospel, the things that we do day to day at home, at work, in society, become, they become our avenues for ministry, to love and serve people around us, bearing the name of Jesus to them. For me, I love being a pastor. I think being a pastor is great. But the ironic thing about being a pastor as someone who just really wants to share Jesus with people is that I spend most every day with other pastors and wonderful people like you in the church who know Jesus really well. You, on the other hand, have an opportunity to live out an important calling, whatever your situation may be. 
you are likely poised to have a greater kingdom impact on the world than I am as you bear the name of Jesus and you bear the gospel to people around you. That is our primary vocation. Please join me in prayer. Our loving Father, God, you are, yeah, you're so good to us each and every day. The grace that you pour out to us each and every day as we try to navigate life, as we make decisions, as we do the things that we do each and every day, whatever those things may be. You care about us. You care about the things that we're doing. You care about each one of us and where you've placed us currently, where you have us currently. And thank you for the calling that you've given us to represent you. We can't do that on our own. So I pray, Lord, for your spirit to help us to bear the name of your son, Jesus, well in all that we do. I pray, God, for the, uh, the leading and the guiding of your spirit in our lives as we go through transition or change or whatever we're facing. God, help us to go through those things well as we faithfully follow you and bear the name of Jesus to others. We love you and we trust you. Amen.